my podcast, Stepping Up, is a platform for people to tell their personal story of how they have faced and overcome a challenge in their life. I feel so blessed to be able to meet and hold space for each of my guests, and I think we can learn a lot from listening to them. My name is Sue Reed, and I very much hope you enjoy listening. My guest today is Georgina. During Georgina's late teens and early 20s, she battled with obesity, food addiction, and binge eating. And after losing both parents at an early age, a doctor told Georgina that she needed to get her weight under control or risk dying early herself. So Georgina is here today to tell us what happened next. So before you do that, Georgina, can we just go back to your early 20s and teen years when you were battling with your binge eating and obesity? What was life like for you then? Hi. So... I've been overweight my whole life. So I was a chubby child and a chubby teenager. And I kind of just really accepted that that's who I was. Didn't think it would, I could be any different. So my food problems to me were actually just how I normally ate. And it was as I got older and began to actually understand a little bit more, I realized that they actually were big problems. But I was in my 20s and I used food as an emotional crutch. I used it as comfort. And it was just kind of, it controlled my life in a way. But I also really struggled to see the link between being as overweight as I was and actually the food I was eating, which sounds really crazy. But I thought it was just bad luck or genetics that I was overweight. My whole family had weight issues. But my actual food problem was that was just what I craved, what I comfort ate. And I used food as an escape sometimes as well. And it was very hard to get out of that cycle. Yeah, and I think a lot of uh, listeners will resonate with that because I think comfort eating and eating when you're upset or depressed or, you know, even feeling lonely, it's kind of you eat something that brings you comfort, that, you know, comfort eating. And I think, you know, back uh, 20 odd years ago, when we were overweight, parents used to say, oh, she's big boned or, you know, it's, you yeah. know, it's in the family. And, and it kind of put an excuse on it all the time, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I really was convinced I was big boned. I had bad genetics and I really just didn't make the link. I think education was nowhere near the same as it is now as well around food choices. And it's also comfort eating and sort of emotional eating becomes a real ingrained habit so it and I think that stems from really early days as well if I feel sad have something sweet and it'll make you feel better yeah and that just becomes an almost an instinctive habit I'm having a bad day sweet stuff or chocolate or whatever it might be will make that day better and it's something that is very hard to break that cycle and actually realize that the food has no control it doesn't make anything better at all it's, it's no. food so it's a big break to make though and I think it's an, a habit that's been ingrained. And still, I mean, I know, like, if my grandson, he's six, if he's upset, we're kind of like, oh, do you want a biscuit? Do you want a chocolate biscuit? Well, that's mm. you have. And it's very, very yeah. innocent when you're that age. But that kind of belief, that habit stays with you that, oh, I'm upset, therefore I'm going to have a chocolate biscuit. 
and the yeah. two naturally go together oh it's only to cheer myself up you know when we were at work years ago we used to in our office we used to have cheer up chocolate so if anybody was having a bad day we'd get the bo- box of chocolates out we'd all we'd all eat chocolate just <laughs> just because that person was upset yeah. <laughs> well it's also like the word treat isn't it have yeah. a treat and it's you know food's used as a reward as well like I remember very young if you don't eat your dinner you don't get a pudding and that was you know a real kind of I've got to to finish all my meal and then I get a treat of a pudding as well and I think that's it food has got so many links to rewarding ourselves treating ourselves comforting ourselves and for somebody like me who realized I actually do have an, an addiction or an issue with food it's, it's much harder to then realise that food isn't a treat and you can reward yourself in different ways. And to break that, I feel sad, therefore chocolate is the only thing that I can use to make myself feel better. I think as a lot of us have those ingrained beliefs that we're maybe not even aware of. Right. And it's things that we pass on to others. You know, like you think it's somebody's birthday, buy them chocolates. Yeah. Um, you know, things like that. And you know, if somebody's sick in hospital, take them some chocolate. So there are lots of ways we do it, which may not even be aware in our consciousness. No. Yeah, I mean, it's built into us that, you know, our ancestors, when they used to go out foraging, it would be very rare to find something sweet. So it was a treat. It was a, a mm. rare find and so you know they would eat then as much of it as they can but now where it's so readily available we should be eating as much as we can in one go (laughs) it's kind of inbuilt into our system isn't it so what happened next then so you were overweight came to the realization that what you were doing probably wasn't in your best interest so what happened next well I, as I say, through my 20s, I was at university, came, moved to London after university, got a job, and my weight just continued to increase. A lot of it was based on, like we've just talked about, the emotional um, eating. Also, the laziness, not wanting to cook, fast food, you know, living life on the go. And that's kind of like my weight just continued to increase, increase. And I just basically hid my head in the sand about it. And then my dad got diagnosed with cancer. And it was a real shock to the whole family. He was very young. He was only in his late 50s at that point. And, you know, it was sort of, I was in my mid-20s. At this point, I had no idea what I weighed, but I was wearing size 24 clothes. Mm. But I refused to get on scales, and I literally had no idea. So when dad got diagnosed with cancer, it kind of rocked us all to the core because it was a terminal diagnosis right away. So it wasn't a, like he's going to go through treatment and that hope was there. We were already dealing with we are going to lose him. We just don't know when that is, which for somebody who's an emotional eater, that just triggered even more of my sort of comfort food and actually my reliance on my, my world's upside down. Food was my only kind of you know, normal in that respect. So we were working with that going through treatment. And then very suddenly, completely unexpectedly, I got a phone call from my sister one Saturday night saying that my mum had been rushed into hospital with a very serious heart attack. Now I lived in London, my family are up north near Manchester. Mm. And my mum was told she wasn't going to survive. Well, my sister was told my mum wasn't going to survive the night. So 
for me, that was, I was 26 and my mum was 59. It was actually her 59th birthday that day. So I rushed up to Wigan as quickly as I possibly could where my mum was in intensive care unconscious and she never came round. She was in intensive care for 19 days as they fought to try and save her. But actually the heart attack was so severe that there was, it was <clears throat> told that she wouldn't actually wake up from it. So we had to make the decision to turn the machines off. Now, we spent as a family, my dad was still very ill, going through treatment for cancer at the time. My sister, myself and my dad spent as much time possibly as we could at intensive care with my mum and got to know the staff, the doctors, the nurses there really well. They were looking after my mum amazingly, as well as trying to help my dad to be as comfortable as possible because he was quite poorly. Um, And that's when the heart specialist took both me and my sister aside because we were both overweight. I was um, considerably larger than she was, but he took us both aside and basically sat us down in the sort of family waiting room kind of place. And just, he was very kind how he did it, but very blunt in that he told both of us that my mum wasn't expected to survive this heart attack. She was 59. She was overweight, but she she wasn't a smoker. She wasn't a drinker, but her obesity had put her health in such a precarious situation. And now with both my sister and I having the same weight issue and a family history of heart disease, that we were heading down the same path. Mm-hmm. And He was quite blunt and said to me particularly, you probably won't reach 50, which was at age 26 with my my mum about to pass away and my dad struggling with terminal cancer. It it was just kind of my my head kind of exploded Mm. with it all. And I couldn't even really, I I couldn't digest the words he said. Obviously, he did it in a really kind and gentle way which I'd not experienced before from health professionals who were usually very judgmental but it was it was a shock a shock to the system to think that what I was doing to myself was actually going to reduce my life expectancy by a lot and it was it was very eye-opening at that time yeah because at 26 life's not even really started yet so to be told actually you know you haven't got an awful long time to go that must have been a shock so did you then go out and do something about it or (laughs) well you'd expect me to but I didn't I was still at that point so overwhelmed with everything that was going on in my life my mum died not long after that so obviously we had to cope with that and that because of the shock she wasn't somebody who was that poorly that we'd expect to lose her as well as dealing with dad going through chemo and all of his various secondary problems that came alongside that I put my whole life on hold I moved back up north lived with my dad took care of him my company that I worked for down in London were amazing allowed me to work from home on a part-time schedule so I literally was at home with my dad and my sister who lived around the corner And we just continued our bad habits in a way because emotions were so all over the place. And it was the anxiety, the stress, the um, fear, the the fact that I knew by the time I was 30, I was probably going to have lost both my parents. 
and caring for dad. So it just all took up far too much that I just kept thinking, I can't do anything about my weight. I can't do anything about it. I'll put it off. I'll put it off, which I was the queen of putting it off. I'm sure most people who have a weight problem know that I'll start next week. I'll start next month. I'll wait for a new year. So yeah, I continued to actually get bigger after mum died before my dad actually passed away, which was two years later. For my dad's funeral, I had to go and buy size 28 clothes. And I still had no idea what I weighed because I still absolutely refused to get on the scales. But at that point, I was starting to worry and think the shops are not going to have clothes to fit me very soon because... At that point, you know, this is quite a few years ago, there wasn't many high street shops that sold larger lady clothing. Certainly wasn't the online market that there is now. And to actually realise that I was about to outgrow the plus size shop was a bit of a sort of wake up call. And also losing both parents at that point. Now, I was like, okay, I am kind of just me and my sister left. So I now have to do something about it. And it took losing dad before I actually addressed it which is understandable because you'd been using emotional eating as a a crutch all of your life to lean on so Mm. it's you know stands to reason you're not gonna be able to not lean on it now so having lost both parents it's interesting that it was the fact that you would no longer be able to buy clothes in your size much longer that kind of made you think this is getting to be a problem so I do need to do something now so what did you do and how soon afterwards my dad died in the October and we had a couple of months of getting our lives sorted out we had a lot of obviously things to do around losing both parents and paperwork and stuff Um, so I kind of moved back to London and my normal life which would have been the first time in almost two years in the January the year after so it was at that point then that I decided okay right I can now focus on me and my problems rather than everybody else and I know both my parents were always worried about my weight I was worried about my weight the words that the doctor had said when mum was in hospital two years earlier, were now really resonating in my head. So that's when I decided, okay, I'm going to go on diet. (laughs) And I spent several years on and off every diet under the sun. Um, And um, again, I think most people with a weight issue will have done the same. I think I was looking for a quick fix miracle of you know eat like this for three months and you wake up a size 10 Mm. um that was what i thought would happen a lot of what i did didn't actually address any of my actual emotional issues around food it was eat this don't eat that lose weight which you can follow for a certain amount of time but then the first time when you do have a bad day or you are you know there's some emotion that comes in as you said, I'd spent years relying on these habits of I'm stressed, chocolate makes it better, that no matter what diet program I was following, as soon as I had that day, I didn't know how else to react. So I still went back to chocolate, felt like a failure because, God, you can't even stick up a diet for three weeks and really believed that I would never change 
the years that I'd spent believing that I was overweight because of genetics, big bones, my family history, mm. every time I fell off a diet, it perpetuated that belief. So you knew you wouldn't be able to do it mm. because you're, you've never been slim. Your family's never been slim. So why are you trying? So it's a really, it's a really difficult battle in your own head. And I think for me as well, one of the big issues I had was my journey was a big journey. I had a lot of weight to lose. The, the official weigh-in I had when I actually did face some scales was that I was 22 stone. So I don't know if that was my heaviest weight or whether it was my lightest starting weight, but that's the number I have recorded when I embarked on this journey of trying to lose weight. And I went several years of losing a stone, putting a stone back on, losing half a stone, putting half a stone back on, and never actually making any major changes to my lifestyle, my eating habits. I still couldn't cook. So <laughs> that was a big challenge if you're trying to lose weight. But it was it was it was a it was a battle I've kind of as I said I just then continued to believe that I couldn't really do it and never really gave a hundred percent to doing anything long term or making a commitment to make that lifestyle change so I'd say throughout my uh, like late 20s early 30s they were my trying to change my life years but not actually really believing in myself that I could Mm. do it so not actually doing it properly and again I think for lots of people who are on weight loss journeys or want to start one that desire and that belief in yourself is very hard to find if you've never had it yeah so that was that was a challenge yeah I think a lot of people will like you say, we'll try very hard to lose weight, but doing it on your own is, is very difficult. And especially when you've got people around you saying, oh, you know, well, you know, it's, it's just the way you are or, you know, be happy with the way you are is quite a common phrase, isn't it? Oh, well, you, you know, you've got a pretty face. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think the thing is as well as what this is like now, obviously looking back, it's quite funny how secretive, I have been around food all my life, both when I was a binge eater, I used to do that completely in secret. No one ever would have seen that. But also when I started dieting after dad had died, I never told anybody because I was embarrassed. Like everyone, everyone could see, obviously, that I was a size 28. I was often the biggest person in the room, but I never wanted to tell anyone. Even like I used to hide it even from my closest friends. I wouldn't actually say, I'd just say something like, oh, I'm trying a few healthy eating recipes or something like that. Whereas, in fact, I was living off cabbage and boiled eggs and it was miserable. Um, I remember one diet I tried, it was called a chemical diet, and it guaranteed a stone off in a week. And it was the most painful, horrible week of my life. I lost a stone. I was over the moon. And I just thought, do I have to eat like this for the rest of my life? Because I was starving. I, oh, it was just painful. And so I came off and put a stone on in a week because I just literally got rid of all the liquid in my body and fluid and starved myself. And as soon as I went back to what I class normal eating, everything went back on. Mm. So it was, it, those were tough years, but also I think 
helped me understand a bit more about myself the fact I was so secretive and the fact that I had these issues that I didn't want to talk about I didn't want to address and as you said doing it on your own is really difficult especially as I didn't know any different that and that was hard to actually think you know most of my friends were very slim so they kind of wouldn't have understood I thought a lot of my bad food habits were actually like they were my naughty little secrets I didn't want people knowing that I was a binge eater and that I used to stockpile naughty food from several different shops and things like that so I never actually discussed anything like that because I just thought people wouldn't understand and I was the only one who did that yeah and and then that pushes it even deeper inside that you're doing something wrong and it's a shameful thing to be overweight yeah so you've just got to carry on and there's you know nothing you could ever do about it so where did the change come then what was the turning point so the turning point is actually a bowl of pasta, <laughs> which um, is quite funny. I had a friend at work and we'd both been on these crazy diets, to, not together, but she had a weight problem. So we're like every now and again, she'd be like, oh, I'm trying this. And I'd be like, oh, let me find out a bit about that. And I'd go off and try some potion or some tablet or something. And neither of us was really getting anywhere. Anyway, we were going out for dinner just for a catch up. And we went to a restaurant, a little Italian place. I'd put myself on some self-imposed calorie restriction diet at the time. So I was ordering like a plain green salad starter to be my main course and drinking plain water because I thought this is, this is healthy. And she ordered a big plate of tomato pasta. And me being all a bit like, oh, look, you know, I'm being much better than she is. I said to her, I was like, oh, you're not dieting at the moment then or not trying. And she's like, no, I've joined Swimming World. She said, it's brilliant. This is this is what we eat. <laughs> and I was like, what? 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 I just didn't believe. I was like, yeah, right, whatever. So I went home that night. And as I said, I tried everything. I'd done other major weight loss organizations to varying degrees of success. I'd not done swimming well so I just went online found my nearest group and that was a big turning point because it meant I was going to join something where there were other people and I'd have to sort of talk and share and things didn't know that at the time and for me it was just another let's try this one because we've not done this before and even the first night when I joined the swimming world group I gave myself six weeks before I'd even walked in the door. I was like, I bet I'll last six weeks. So I almost, I was expecting myself to give up, expecting myself to fail because that's who I was. That's what I did. And I remember standing outside round the corner of the Slimming World group, watching everybody walk in. And I said to myself, I'm not going to go in unless I see somebody who's a similar size to me because I thought everyone's going to stare at me. It was, it's so crazy what goes through your mind when you're overweight. It's like you're walking into a weight loss group. Everyone in there has got a weight problem because they wouldn't be there. Yeah. I was worried that they were going to be pointing and laughing. At me because that, that's <laughs> She's what, got a weight problem. <laughs> yeah. But that, because that's what I got yeah. so accustomed to. So I was 34 by this point, but still, even though I had a successful career, I had lots of friends and all of that. I was still so ashamed, insecure, embarrassed, nervous about anything that came to my weight. 
so even when I walked in the door I was, I was shaking I remember so clearly I was shaking I was nervous I didn't want anyone to look at me or talk to me and I sat in the group on that first night so when you join a group like that you get an introduction to how it works and then you get asked to join the group session where people talk through their plans their changes favorite recipes tips all stuff like that um, which I'd never done anything like this before. It was kind of like what, sort of like a, a therapy session. Yeah. And I remember hearing other pe- ladies in group, the one lady in particular stuck out to me, that she was really proud of herself, that she'd had a very emotional weekend, but she'd not turned to binge eating. And it was like a, she was so proud of herself that she'd overcome it. But she said it in public and everyone was kind of like really like, well, well done and stuff. <laughs> and I was like, but that's a dirty secret of mine. Like, <laughs> couldn't quite believe that people were talking about it so openly that straight away it lifted this burden really that I had on my shoulders that I'm not on my own that actually there are people who are doing the same thing as me but they're finding solutions to oh. it um, and that lady had lost several stone already she, she was getting closer to her target weight and it kind of then inspired me to think right so she's somebody who's got the same affliction that I have yet she's combating it she's losing weight and she looks amazing so I kind of at that point started to actually believe the plan worked still didn't believe that much in myself that I'd be able to do it Mm. but I decided that I'm going to give it a hundred percent which I'd not really made that commitment before the consultant very lovely lady basically said to me is if you really want it you can really do it and I was like yeah yeah right whatever <laughs> you don't you don't know me but obviously you know she met lots of me's in her time yeah. and but she never ever gave up belief in me and sometimes when I was really struggling or thought oh, I can't do this she was like if you really want it you can really do it and it'd be like reminding me how much did I want it and For me at that point, remembering what that doctor had said and my mum who died at 59 became my biggest motivation. And also the fact that I had lost my mum and dad so young really enforced in me how important it was that I change. And that was my motivation throughout my whole weight loss journey. There was lots of other ones, but always I had this drive inside of me that I don't want to die young Mm. and I think that was something I'd not had before I wanted a quick fix I wanted to be slimmer I wanted to wear nice clothes I wanted you know to fit in better they were all good reasons but they weren't motivation enough Mm. but actually finding that real desire inside of I want to do this for my own health not doing it for anybody else or for anything else this is for me to make my life longer healthier fitter and happier that was what was a real turning point and then alongside that I told everybody from being somebody who never shared that I was on a diet I went the complete opposite way told my boss told my colleagues told my family told my friends I'm a swimming world member. I'm really trying. I really want to do this. And I got so much support and encouragement, not only from the people and the friends that I made at the, at the group, but from everybody in my life as well, that it just made it so much easier. And then people were kind of really supportive in so many different ways. So 
I think that was really the key. There's lots of steps in that that all happened at the right time was finding a group of people that supported me and actually encouraged and actively talked about weight issues, finding the motivation inside of me and also then getting that encouragement and support from the people I'd always hid my problems from. You know, a lot of my friends didn't realize how affected I was by my weight because I was this happy, jolly on the surface but inside, I was really struggling and disliked myself a lot. So that really, that was the big change. So did you stick with Slimming World then? Did you go more than the six weeks? It was funny because when I left that night, I was still saying, you know what, I'm going to give it 100% like the lady asked me to. And we'll see how I, how I do. And in, I lost a stone in four weeks. And I didn't go hungry at all. I was eating delicious food. I I bought myself a recipe book on the first night, taught myself how to make chili and curry. I couldn't believe I was cooking from scratch. I was like, I'm really proud of myself. Look at me, I've made a curry. And I'd never gone hungry. And I was still able to enjoy a little bit of what I thought were my favorite foods, which was chocolate and biscuits. Just had to be planned and measured and counted but not denying myself. And that was also a revelation, a diet, which actually allowed you to have a little bit of what you like. So after a month, I was like, I'm doing really well. I'm enjoying it. I liked the groupings. I was making friends and I was losing weight in a really positive way, not a starvation or a miserable way. So I kind of in those very early weeks learned a lot about myself, but made a promise to myself that this was working. There was no miracle. I wasn't going to go to bed one night and wake up 10 stone lighter. It was a journey that I had to go on, not just to lose weight, but to actually change my habits, change my lifestyle, learn about myself. And it's all happened quite early on. So I made a promise that I wasn't going to quit because I'd quit everything. Anything I'd ever done regarding my health and my weight loss, I'd given up at the first hurdle. So this time I was like, this is different and it doesn't matter how long it takes. And I think that was a really important part of the the process of it succeeding. I didn't put a time frame on it. I didn't have a, you must lose this much weight by Christmas. It was, this is a lifelong change and everything I learn about myself is a step in the right direction. So I didn't quit. I joined Civil World. It's now 10 and a half years ago. And I've never, ever quit. I'm still a member. I still I'm a target member. So I've lost all my weight. And you know, I'm a healthy BMI for the first time in my life. I've maintained this weight now for five years. I'm still learning about myself. And you know, the past 12 months of 2020 have taught me a lot there's still a lot of challenges I'll always be an emotional eater that that doesn't go away what's changed is how I combat it but yeah so I didn't quit and I'm still that's one of the most things I'm most proud of myself for is making that promise you actually won slimmer of the year I well I was a same world member and then once I got very close to being my target weight I actually applied to become a swimming well consultant myself so I'd received so much amazing support and encouragement to turn my life around that I wanted to do the same for other people 
because I was that person who really believed that I couldn't change, that it was destiny, that I would you know, end my life a lot earlier than a lot of people because I was overweight and all the associated health problems. So I applied for and became a Slimming World consultant and opened my own group. And that was in October 2013. And basically, I started supporting people in my community to go on the same journey that I was on. And during those first couple of years of the consultant, I actually won the national title of Slimming World Consultant Slimmer of the Year, which was such like it was just the most surreal thing to have won a competition about weight loss when I'd spent so many years actually really struggling and actually in a really dark place about my own weight and my own ability to change to actually then be recognized as somebody who was inspiring others was it was just surreal and amazing to become then an ambassador for Slimming World. And a reward for all your hard work and everything you put into it that 100% commitment you made paid off in the end and so how much did you actually lose in total? So when I joined Slimming World, my starting weight there was 18 stone, three and a half pounds. So as I said, my heaviest recorded weight that I know of was 22 stone and I'm now 10 and a half stone. So in total, I've lost almost half of, well, I've actually lost just over half of my body weight, but eight stone of that has been with Slimming World. Brilliant. And you ran a marathon? Yeah, yeah, that was one of my crazy moments. Of, well, what can I do? What can I challenge myself to next? But it would. Have, I, I was the person at school who avoided PE. You know, I used to have so many letters from home about why I couldn't take part in PE. But as I started losing weight, I actually started to enjoy certain bits of exercise. And as I lost weight, I actually got more confident and I was getting fitter. And I just started the couch to 5k as a personal challenge. And I was going to do a race for life to raise money for cancer research, because obviously of the link with my dad. So that's how I started running. I did the couch to 5k and ran a race for life. And then the year after that, I was actually asked to be a spokesperson by the Race for Life people and actually did a couple of presentations for them talking about my journey and my dad and things like that. And then I ended up doing a 10K um, run the year after. So suddenly, and I wasn't at my target weight. I was still on my losing weight journey. Suddenly I was like, what am I doing? I'm training for a 10K. This is somebody who used to avoid walking to the bus stop if she could. But I started falling in love a bit with running, which was a very strange thing for me to actually even get my head around. And then I did a half marathon, again, just as a personal challenge. And then Slimming World enter a team every year into the London Marathon and raise money for cancer research on the back of that. And I'd done my half marathon. I was still really enjoying it. And I just, in a kind of moment of madness, was like, you know what? I'll apply for the um, Swimming World team to run run the London Marathon. And I got accepted. (laughs) I remember getting the phone call on a cold November morning. You know, you've got a place. And I was like, oh, no. (laughs) Um, But again, now, you know, the team I was a member of, we raised almost £20,000 for cancer That's amazing which was phenomenal and yeah I put myself through the training program 
and yeah, ran the 2017 marathon. One of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, mentally and physically. But again, it was to prove to myself from years of not having belief in myself and for settling for this is who you are and expectations of what other people thought of me. This is something I'm doing for me to challenge myself. And I said it was hard. It was very hard work for a not a natural runner. I was 40. I wasn't in the best prime of my life. My weight has had an impact over the years on my joints and things. But I did it. I ran. I ran the London Marathon. I didn't fall over the finish line. And I remember being very confused when I got over the finishing line that what has just happened. But yeah, it's one of the highlights of my life to know that something I used to watch on TV as a kid, thinking those people are crazy, is something that I've now achieved for myself as well. So That's fantastic. And then you've, you've gone on to be uh, interviewed on the TV and magazines, on the radio, and you've even been um, asked to speak at the Houses of Parliament. I, I feel very privileged to have had so many amazing opportunities based on the fact that I made a decision to change and to lose weight. A lot of people in my situation before I started losing weight kind of feel a bit helpless or a bit lost and think the journey's far too big and I've gone too far. I remember I used to think that was I'm too big now to do anything about it. And to actually then be able to go on to TV or to, you know, be in a magazine article or in a newspaper to show people real life that, you know, I wasn't the quickest loser in the world. Like I say, I lost three stone in three months. I didn't continue at that rate at all. It took me a couple of years to actually lose the eight stone, but I did it in a way that taught me a lot. And I think that's what I then can actually pass on to others and to help other people who might feel a bit lost or not sure that they can actually do it so yeah no I've been very lucky like to talk at the Houses of Parliament was just a phenomenal you know it was, it was such a privilege and it was I was speaking at a kind of event around healthcare professionals and how healthcare professionals can manage better patients who are overweight and actually how they should talk to them and how they could actually help people in a way that actually is supportive rather than judgmental because I think a lot of us who've been overweight or are overweight feel quite judged when we go to see the doctor yeah you can go in about any complaint you know you've got a bad back and they say well that's because you're overweight of course you've got a bad back (laughs) when it might have nothing to do with it but yeah yeah and so going back to that that moment when you walked through the slimming world door that was kind of your first apart from the decision you made, that was your baby step. That little step through that door then took you on a journey. And I think sometimes when you were saying about people thinking, well, it's it's such a big thing to have to do. I've got all this weight to lose. I'm never going to do it. But if you just think of it as one little step, I'm going to join a club. I'm going to tell someone. I'm going to do whatever. But just take one little tiny step. So... What advice would you give to somebody who is in your position as you were, like when the doctor said to you, you know, you need to lose weight and to anybody listening to this and thinking, well, you know, that that's me. I need to lose weight. I know that I'm on that path, but I don't know what to do. What advice would you give to them? I think the, the biggest thing for anybody who 
like me is maybe scared or actually lost in kind of what to do, how to do it and how long it might take is almost what you've just said about you have to start somewhere and it's not a race. So it's about making a positive step and not putting it off. I, if I'd have put in, you know, even, even if when the doctor had told me that, you know, mum, when mum was in hospital, I probably gained three or four stone in that 12 months, 18 month period after that. If I'd have just took it a little bit more seriously or at that point thought, let's just start looking into what I could do. But it's also to say, you know what, be kind to yourself, whatever reason you are overweight. And a lot of us are not overweight because we eat too much cake. We eat too much cake because of a different reason or an underlying reason. And it's sometimes we have to learn to be kind to ourselves about why we eat too much cake and actually just say, you know what, I'm now going to be kind to myself by now taking a positive step forward. I definitely would recommend reaching out for support groups. Now, you know, obviously I'm a Swimming World member and I can't speak more highly of them. It doesn't mean that's the only one out there. But having a team of like-minded people around you who understand, and that is a big, big thing about it is, you know, you might have supportive family and friends who have never had a weight problem that they don't understand when you're fighting with cheese or chocolate or a biscuit, whatever it might be. And, you know, ask for the help that, that you need to make the changes, but also don't put a time frame on it and learn that it's okay to not be perfect. I wasn't a perfect um, dieter. I'm still not a perfect dieter. The key thing is if I have a bad day, a bad meal, a bad hour, in the past, I used to spend ages beating myself up, calling myself horrible names, because you're a failure, you're silly, you're stupid, whatever it might be. Now I just say, you know what, it's okay. You made a mistake, you had a bad hour, you had a bad meal. It's not the end of the world. Pick yourself up, try again tomorrow. You don't have to be perfect, but you do have to try. And I think that that's the real key. Very few people, like now I've been a Swimming World consultant for seven years, very few people lose weight every single week. It'd be brilliant if we did. But a lot of us who get to our target weight have had blips, have had ups and downs, bits of roller coaster journey, but use those to learn from so that next time you have a blip or a sad day or a angry day or whatever it is that the emotion is, you've learned a bit from it. So that's quite a lot of, <laughs> if you are someone thinking of starting, really start, that's it. Start, start, get started, however that might be, and don't give up because giving up gets you nowhere. That's right. Yes, definitely. Well, it's brilliant, brilliant journey. And you are, obviously the listeners can't see you, but Georgina looks fantastic. So <laughs> she is a, a good role model for anybody that wants to lose weight. She has proven that it can be done if you, you know, put a little bit of effort and a, a lot of wanting into it, then you can achieve what you can run a marathon you, you know you can you can do anything you want to do <laughs> I made one little decision to join Swimming World since then I've changed my career gave up my full-time job become a full-time Swimming World consultant um, I've gone from doing no exercise to running a marathon I've jumped off a mountain in a parachute thing all from making one decision of I'm going to give this Swimming World group a go 
Yeah. And, you know, my life is, you know, I'm 45 in two weeks' time. My life is unbelievably different than it was in my mid-30s. Um, and it's down to myself. It's decision I made and the work I put in has given me a life that I never thought I'd have. Because I think the, you know, the point there is that only you can do it. You can't, nobody can do it for you. You have to make your own decision and you have to take your own action and make yourself accountable for it. But like you say, in a nice way, without beating yourself up at every wrong turn, just keep going down the path, keep taking little steps and you get there in the end. Absolutely. If you're on a journey and you take a step at a time, you're going to get there, aren't you? If you give up, you get nowhere. If you keep trying, even if you fail, you're getting somewhere because you're learning from it. Absolutely. So if anybody listening wants to understand more about your journey and wants to get in touch with you, how can they get in touch with you? Well, I have an Instagram account where I publish lots of my actual my swimming world journey as it is today. So my Instagram account is Georgina underscore slim world. And all my contact details are on there. If anybody did want to find out more, get in touch. But there's there's also lots of lovely meals that I share because I like to share what I'm cooking and creating. So probably my Instagram account is one of the best. Or if you want to email me, it's Georgina slimming world at outlook.com. Brilliant. I shall put those in the show notes so that um, people have got the links if they need them. But it's been absolutely lovely talking to you and hearing your journey. And thank you so much for sharing it with us. Oh, Joe, it's been delightful, Sue. And thank you so much for inviting me onto your podcast. I'm very excited to be a part of it. Lovely. Thank you so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to Georgina's story today. I think it's probably relevant to point out that there are other slimming organisations available out there. If you have enjoyed today's story, though, please subscribe to ensure that you don't miss any in the future and also because it benefits me. And if you'd like to leave a review, that would be great as well. And if you'd like to share this episode with your friends, that would also be great. Otherwise, I hope to see you again in future episodes. Thank you very much for listening.